Okay, good morning. I want to uh, thank our sponsor for Amunashir this morning, Dvorah Navi Orlan, who continue to sponsor in memory of their beloved daughter, Miriam Esther Bas Avram Yitzchak, and our beloved Hensha Gansberg, in memory of her beloved husband, Sihir Ben Moshe Dov. Thank you for handing out the uh, dollars from the Rebbe. Should be a big school. Everyone should give stucca from it. Amen. And uh, also we want to learn, continue all of our learning in the shul for a Rufu Shlema for Baruch Tiba Rivka Batya. And... Eli Melech ben Yehudas, yeah, Rabbi Mike Stern, who unfortunately is in a real crisis and is in need of a, of a major of Shlema. And Le'iloi Nishmas, Daniela Sara, Bas, Eliezer Yisrael Halevi. And lastly, we have in mind as well all of the victims from Pittsburgh and, uh, and those who were injured and their families who should have uh, strength and, and courage. Okay, so um, if there's ever a week that we needed an Amunah Bitachon Shir, it's this week. It's this week. Um, I appreciate everyone's flexibility moving it to today. Mir Hashem, next week we'll be back on schedule and back on track. But obviously it was a very, very difficult week for Klai Yisrael, for the Jewish people globally, with what happened uh, in Pittsburgh, for our community in particular, the loss of a young mother, a young woman, a young teacher in our community, an outstanding woman. And um, I, I think we already had Namun and Bitachon Shir this week. For those who listened to the, to the funeral on Sunday, Rabbi Grejauer spoke about his wife. It's a position nobody should ever, ever, ever be in to speak about the young mother of their children, to give a hesped to a woman you're married to for, for such a short time and who lives such a short time. And he gave a disclaimer before he spoke about her, and he said it as a disclaimer. And with that, he gave a gift to us because it's something that we can't say. We could say, but we wouldn't have the credibility that he has to say it and to say it in that moment. But he got up and he just made it very clear. He said, I want to tell everyone that we work for God, God doesn't work for us. So in that moment, that's what he said. Which is a tremendous affirmation of Amun and Bitachon. To see Hashem in the good times, that's easy. To see Hashem when everything's flowing and everything's easy, and everything's bracha and everything's simcha, that's easy. But to stand up in that moment and to say that, that's tremendous, it's tremendous. And if you know him, that's not, uh, you know, he's not trying to make it into an article biography. He's not trying to have everyone say nice things about him. He's, he's the most real person. What you see is what you get. And if that's what he said, it's because that's what he meant. And that in that one sentence was the Amun Ashir, maybe for the whole year, maybe the whole decade, but certainly for the week. And the second thing he said is the disclaimer was that in moments of great pain, it's understandable to not feel close to Hashem. And struggling to understand is not the same as struggling to believe. And that it's okay to struggle to understand. That doesn't mean that you're struggling to believe. Was very very powerful, yes. and I'm very grateful to him for saying it. And it gives us a munabitachon for the whole week with its struggles and whatever one's struggles are. But to uh, and I asked him, uh, I asked him a couple months ago during this ordeal. People still didn't know, and it was clear that it was towards the end. I said, "Do you struggle to daven? Do you, do you hate coming to davening?" Because I can imagine I was projecting maybe a little bit. Who would want to open a sitter? Who would want to daven when they saw the trajectory of where this was going and at least according to Lafia Teva, according to nature and science, it was irreversible. And he said, no, my davening is not predicated on getting what I want. Davening is not predicated on the assumption that everything that happens is going to be the way I want. Daven to Hashem because he's in charge and somehow everything is, is for him. So it hasn't affected, it's the worst part of coming to davening is having to see people. But seeing Hashem, that was, uh, that was easy for him. So even for our own davening, this is where we, where we draw strength from. I, um, the news was here earlier this week. They, you know, everyone wants to cover the local version of what happened in Pittsburgh. They want to know if, if shuls are increasing their security and the like. So um, 
so she asked me, how is this impacting the, she was talking about Pittsburgh, but how is this impacting the children of the community? You know, bad things happening to good people, to lose faith in God. So I said something we've discussed often, which is that even when we struggle with faith, we have people that we can latch on to. Part of the Slanam Rebbe's definition of Dveikus, to be Davik B'tamidachacham, you find righteous people who've maintained faith even in the most horrific circumstance, and we can latch on, we can tag on, we can grab their coattails, and, and they carry us. So I said, we still thank God we're blessed to have survivors in our community, and, um, and we find strength, we find strength through the, through the survivors. So we look at people of faith, we listen to people who, who speak at a eulogy and say these things. We listen to, to people like the reaction of the Pittsburgh community, who've talked about rebuilding and talked about faith and talked about unity and fighting hatred. And even when we struggle, and in our own struggles, which it's okay to be in pain, and even to struggle. Struggling to understand is not the same as struggling to believe. But uh, we can latch on and attach ourselves to those people. I'll just say one last word, and then we'll get, we'll get into this, uh, back into the Alay Shore, back into this piece. But um, Mrs. Grejauer, Danny Grejauer's father at the, at the Shiva, you know, somebody said to him, how could you, you lost your daughter, is there anything more painful? It's horrific, it's, it's, it's just the worst than it is. And he said, you know, my parents were Holocaust survivors. I just lost one child. They lost everything. And they maintained their faith. And I, I only lost one child. They lost everything. So as I look at my other children, and I look at the 33 years I had with her, and how can I not feel incredibly blessed? If Hashem would have given me an option of this, this one daughter for 33 years who gave me so much joy and nachas, would I have said, no, I'm not interested for the 33 years? He said, so I feel, I feel blessed. How could I feel? Which, again, it's just ordinary people with extraordinary amuna. And um, I think it's a reminder that sometimes the biggest lessons, we don't have to open the Gedolim biographies, and we don't have to look for the... the you know, the, the most celebrated stories. It's some of the ordinary people around us who we sometimes overlook or neglect who really are living the most extraordinary lives and have that faith, and, and we too can tap into it. Okay. On the top, I believe, of Tafkuf Peites, we're still learning this parak in Alei Shor Chelek Beis, Rav Shalom Avolbe, Zatzal, the great Mashkiach of Yerushalayim. And uh, this is his parak on Tfilah Bitochan. I'm not going to rehash what we've seen so far. But we talked about the Gemara, that that if you make the bracha Ga'al Yisrael, if you acknowledge God as the Redeemer of Israel, if you see God in history, right as you see God in destiny, right as you begin your Amida and asking Hashem for everything that we need, such a person is a Ben Olam Haba. And Rabbi Yonah said, why? What's the big deal? So you daven without interrupting in the spot, you're not supposed to interrupt. That's such a big deal. And he answered, yeah, because what you're doing is you're saying, I have faith that Hashem is going to answer me in the present because He's been there in the past. You want to slide around? You can look at me. So Yeshlav and Kam Bedivri Rabbeinu Yonah. We're on Uzbeis. Everyone see where we are? Yeshlav and Kam Bedivri Rabbeinu Yonah. In Etzim HaTfilah, Himaisa Shal Bitochon. Lama Oma Rabbeinu Yonah, Ki Davka HaSomek Ulu Tfilah. Not Rabbeinu Yonah. Lama Oma Rabbeinu Yonah, Davka HaSomek Ulu Tfilah, Hu Ben Olam Haba. He's trying to understand Rabbeinu Yonah. If, if Tfilah is the core of Bitochon, right, we talked about last week, Tfilah, prayer is the binyan. It's the building block of Bitochon. Where do we renew our Bitochon every day? When and where do we do it? When we daven. When we daven. How do we have the energy, the courage, the strength, the optimism to get through the day with whatever minor negligible inconvenience to whatever major enormous obstacle? Where do we draw? From what well of bitachon do we draw? The binyan of bitachon, the building block, the foundation of bitachon is our davening. That when we go to davening and we go through this exercise in emuna, the humility of saying, Hashem, I'm nothing, you're everything. When I'm outside of tefillah, when I leave the shul, it's all up to me. When I'm in the shul, when I daven, when I open my sitter, it's all up to you. So if that's the case, then Shemona Esrei is the core. And Shemona Esrei is the key. Shemona Esrei is the building block. Why do I have to 
What's the big deal about reciting Shmon Esrei right after Gal Yisrael? Why do I have to invoke the Exodus right before davening? Leave the past in the past. History is history. I'm up to today. I got enough challenges today. I got enough to talk to God about about today. Why do I have to first review history? What's the relevance of Yitzhiyaz Mitzrayim? The old Leo Somech Gulalit Fila Blishum Havsaka, Bengal Yisrael Aschol Shmon Esrei, Mayafsid and Yismamea Ezer Goyim Achiyaschol Hispalo. And so what? So what if you'd meditate for a few moments? You say, God Yisrael, you close your eyes, you take deep breaths, and only then do you say Shmon Esrei? It's a very important halacha you see here, by the way. Because I, I'm, I'm a big believer and I try myself to take a few breaths, to, to take Nishimos to attach to the Nishama, to take some breaths to attach to the core and to clear space and to, to meditate, even if for a moment, to be mindful of the tefillah we're about to enter. But the place to do that is not after Ga'al Yisrael, before you're three steps forward. The place to do that is before Ga'al Yisrael. So one's supposed to already be having, standing further back by Tilos Lashem, Tilos Lakel Yon. You're already supposed to be standing back. You don't take three steps back to begin Yishmon Esrei. You're already supposed to be back at Tilos Lakel Yon. And then you get towards the end of Yichamocha, a few deep breaths, meditate, reflect, get that to-do list, get all the people you got to see and call and email, get what you have going on today out of your mind. I'm going to be entirely mindful. I'm going to be present in what I'm about to do. A few deep breaths. Now, Baracha Gal Yisrael, three steps forward. I've transported myself. I'm in an altogether new place, no matter where I was. And now Hashem's Fasai Tiftach. Hashem opened my lips and helped me, even if I feel distant, and even if I feel unworthy, and even if I feel you're not interested in listening to me, give me the right words, enable me to talk to you. So, but that's the right way to do it, because you're not supposed to have any break or barrier between God Yisrael and Shimon Asri. But let's say you did. So what if you came up for air between? So what if you had a moment of breath? Revoba says an incredible idea. He says that you see here, Bitachon is so nuanced. Bitachon is so subtle. Bitachon is so complicated that Shmona Esrei enough alone is not Bitachon. So what? You stood in front of God and you said, please give me health and please give me livelihood and please give this one blessing and please take care of that for the other person and help them find their shudder and help them find their baby. Bitachon enough, but Shmonasri alone rather, is not enough to affirm or validate that you have bitachon. Why? Because you can, and many people or most of us do, just go through the motions. You open the sitter and you go through the motions. Atachonein check, hashivenu check, Rafa'inu check. I even said Yehira Atzon in the middle of Rafa'inu and read my list of people. Check. So what? Does that mean you really believe or it means that you're going through your checklist? Sometimes people go through a checklist because they're hedging. I got to do this, that, and the other thing. On the list of things I got to do is check. Right? I know a lot of people who will go to a Rebbe for a bracha. They don't believe in Rebbes. They don't believe in brachos. But why not? Hedge. Hedge. <laughs> Put it on the list of things. I davened. I did my hashtadlis. I did my skula. I wore my bendel. I did my, gave my tzedakah. I did my, and I got a bracha. Now, when they're in front of the Rebbe, do they have kavana that this is it? Lavdafka, not necessarily. Maybe they're sitting there and they're having that conversation because, ah, I was told to. Or to put it in, in more mundane terms, someone has an illness and someone recommends you've got to go see this 
doctor of Chinese medicine. I know Western medicine is wonderful and gives you a lot, but this doctor of Chinese medicine, of Eastern medicine, has, has fantastic advice and has healed countless people. The person says, you know, I'm suffering so much. I've been to every other Western doctor and had a million tests. I might as well go to the doctor of Chinese medicine. Do they believe in it? No. Are they really listening? Do they have kavana while they're there? Maybe not. But they're there because hedge. So that's the attitude many people bring to davening. I don't know if there's a God. I don't know if he's listening. And I got a lot of my mind, so I'm not really paying attention. But you know what? I got to put a check in the column. Next, dude, did I daven? I got to put that check either because that's the way I was raised. I got to put the check because socially I'm expected to be there. I got to put a check because I have a very guilty conscience. And if I can't put the check, it's going to bother me the whole day. People put a check in that column for all kinds of reasons other than I want to have a conversation with Hashem. Who had a conversation with Hashem? Where do we see that davening is a conversation with Hashem? I'll give you a hint this week's parsha. When Rivka, Eliezer finds Rivka, she's the one, she's the shirach, not because he used any external, I, I spoke on Tuesday in the parsha class, I said, you know, when Eliezer was going to look for a girl, he didn't say to the shadchanim, I need a size two, and she has to have this yichus, and her father's got to have this kind of portfolio, and these assets, and this real estate, and I need the mother to wear a sheta when she takes the garbage out, and I need the father to learn the dafyomi three times a day, and I am... You know, he asked, he asked for something that no one's ever asked me. I'm not going to repeat this whole routine. I did it Tuesday. But the worst part of the job, Yechavet, I'm sure will agree, is we, we're happy to do it and we're eager to help the young people of our community. But it's not enjoyable. So they call and ask all these, you know, Shidduch references. So I get a million questions. She gets a million questions. They include people's medical history, psychological history, their medicine cabinet. They include a million things. Nobody's ever asked me that if I came with my camels, would she give my camels to drink to? <laughs> Nobody's ever asked me that. <laughs> Nobody's ever asked me, does she, a chesed? does she have an inclination towards chesed? Does she go above and beyond to not just help when someone asks, but even to help when she's not asked? Nobody's never asked. Nobody's never asked that. Nobody's no, they're not looking for that, right? So Rivka was a size two internally. Probably externally too. I'm sure she was beautiful. She's described as Tovas Mara, which we talked about. The Kliyakar says Tovas Mara means I and Tova. Not that she was beautiful externally. Eliezer said he didn't need that. Tovas Mara meant internally. She had an eye in Tova. She had a beautiful, beautiful eye. She was generous and gracious and good and kind. She had an internal beauty. She was an internal size too. That's what Eliezer was looking for for Yitzchak. So anyway, Rivka arrives. And where does she find Yitzchak? She falls off the camel. She's so stunned. Where does she find him? What's he doing? Vayeta Yitzchak. Lasuach basadeh. Yitzchak goes out. Lasuach basadeh. What does Lasuach mean? What is a sicha? A sicha is a conversation. So lasuach is to daven. But davening here is described with the word lasuach. It's not described as a cry, a krecht, a groan, a moan, a supplication, uh, a praise, a gratitude, a thanks. Right? Rav Pinkus has Sharon Batvila, 13 synonyms based on Yalkut Shimoni, 13 synonyms for prayer. And one of them is sicha. Sicha comes from Yitzchak. Yitzchak, 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 Basada. For Yitzchak, davening was... A casual conversation. Not pomp and circumstance and not fear and dread and not burden and obligation. For Yitzchak, it was, I'm having coffee with a friend and I've been looking forward all week because we have to catch up. I've got to tell my girlfriend everything going on in my life and I want to hear everything going on in her life and I need to ask for some advice and I want to offer some advice and I want to say thank you for what she's done for me or he's done for me. But Yitzchak, it's a casual conversation. I was once at the Kotel standing next to a Sephardi man and I wasn't eavesdropping on purpose. It wasn't, it wasn't like I was violating his privacy, but he was talking pretty loudly. I never, ever heard such authentic davening in my whole life. Never. The closest it comes is if, you, if you're privileged to daven with Mr. Sanders, who's an amazing Yid, a holy Jew. So 
this, this Sephardi, this holy Sephardi Jew at the Kotel, he was having a conversation. He was filling Hashem in about his day, like Hashem wasn't there. And then this, and I need your help with that. Oh, and thank you for this. And did I tell you about my son that? And that. It was unbelievable. It was a sicha. It's a conversation. Not a burden, not an obligation, not a check mark. So one can go through the motions of tefillah and put a check, but having never been there, absent present, you were never there. You ever get to the end of Shemona Esrei and you don't remember starting? Yes. You don't even remember saying any of the brachas? You're sure you got to the end because your page tells you that you're at the end. But you don't actually remember saying any of the brachas. And then you say, oh, I, I, I had all these things I wanted to include in each of these brachas. I forgot. I forgot. We talked about last week or two weeks ago in the Dava when you can offer another one on your own. But sometimes we get to the end. It's like Lahavdil, you know, your car pulls into the driveway. You got home. You don't ever remember. You don't remember the highway, the streets, making the turns, the traffic, the lights. You were on the phone. You were listening to something. You were lost in your thoughts. Your car is on autopilot. You pulled into the driveway. You got home at the end of carpool. You don't even remember ever. You don't remember anything. In fact, there's no kids in the car. You forgot to pick them up. You just came home. You just turned around. You came right home. A couple weeks after we moved from Captiva to Thornhill Green, this goes back now 12 years, 11 years, a long time ago. A couple weeks later, it wasn't the next day. I was in the driveway in Captiva. I got out of the car. I go, well, I don't live here anymore. The car automatically went there because I wasn't thinking. So Shimon Esri, sometimes you get to the end and you don't ever remember how you got there. So you can go through the motions and feel itself, the fact that you made it through the sitter doesn't prove that you have emuna. So what is the benefit? What is the value of, of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? We're talking about history right before because it's an anchor. What we're trying to do is set an anchor. And we're trying to do is say, I'm going to become mindful. Right before I dive in right now, I'm going to be mindful. Right before I ask for the things I need right now, right before I am grateful for the things I have right now, right before I protest and object to the things I don't like that are going on right now, in order to align, to calibrate my concentration, I'm going to think about where I've come from and how I got here and Hashem's guiding hand all along that journey. Right? I'm going to do Yeshis Orur Shal Bitachon. How do I arouse that sense of Amuna within me? How do I awaken that sense of faith, that sense of trust within me, by thinking about an episode in which Hashem's hand was so visibly clear. Now, Gal Yisrael, you could think about Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, your Somach Geula Litzvilah, the Geula of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, in the universal sense. But one can also use that moment to reflect on a personal Geula. Was there something in my life? Was there an episode? Was there a moment? Was there a choice? Was there an event where I felt Hashem's guiding hand? so explicitly, so visibly, so palpably, so undeniably. And how do I awaken and how do I direct and channel and focus my kavana that my Shemona Esrei will not just be a check in the check column, that I won't get to the driveway of Elokai Netzur at the end and I don't know how I got there. But how do I make sure I'm present in each of these brachas? When I say Rafa'inu, I'm not just going through the motions. I'm saying, Rafa'inu, I remember there was someone and we all davened or I went through something and I asked Hashem and it went away. How do I awaken that faith, that trust that I've been there before and that I know Hashem's guiding hand? So what I'm about to ask right now, I can trust He's going to be there again. Says Revolbe, 
it is so, it's so fragile, the bitachon in us. In other words, the default is to forget Hashem. This is a tragedy. The default should be that I live with Hashem over my shoulder every second, every moment. He's with me with whatever I'm watching, whatever I'm saying, whatever I'm listening to, wherever I'm going, whatever I'm doing, every moment of anxiousness, every moment of guilt, every moment of fear, every moment of doubt, every moment of sadness. He's ever present in my life. That's the goal. That's the aspiration. But the reality is, I have to choose to remember him, and in between choosing to remember him, I forget. I forget. Sadly. So that remembering him is so fragile. It's so dissipating. It is so... It is so transitory, it leaves so quickly that if I even take a break for a, a tiny bit, if I have a hefsik, if I have a barrier at all between Ga'a Yisrael and Shemona Esrei. So yes, I, I awoken that sense within me of trust and faith. But now I had a shahi, I had a hefsik. Now I took a break before I start Shemona Esrei. By the time I start Shemona Esrei, it's gone. We have to realize that so fragile is that trust and faith in Hashem, so easily disappearing that I have to jump on it. The moment I feel it, I have to go with it. Which is a lesson not just for the Amida and not just for it's a lesson for life. When I see something, experience something, hear something that awakens the Amun Abitachon in me, that makes me get those goosebumps, that gets me excited or giddy, the feeling of Hashem in my life, in this world, that He's in control, daven to Him at that moment. Connect with Him at that moment. Utilize it. Ride that wave. When the wave comes, ride the wave. Right? To swim a mile would be exhausting. But if a huge wave comes and you time it to ride that wave, it carries you. So when you can feel that sense of the munabitachum, whether your own or jumping onto someone else's, Rabbi Grejauer, we work for God, he doesn't work for us. We are present for one of the great moments of Amuna, ride that wave. He said, we heard this wonderful story from Avin Yafin, who was the son-in-law of the altar of Nevardic, that the Reb Chaim once visited the Gro. Reb Chaim was the principal, the primary student of the Vilna Gon. Reb Chaim Valajan. had a certain illness, and the way, the treatment that was offered in his day was they would put what are they called? Leeches on his neck? And they were, they were covered with a scarf. Right? They, the, I don't know, the leeches would suck the blood? What would they do? Drain the blood, suck the toxins, take the bacteria out. I don't know. There's a reason we don't do it anymore. So the leeches were on his neck for the treatment. And they were covered with a scarf. So the Vilnagon was sitting with his holy students. And in the middle of their learning, the conversation Move to the concept of bitachon. Trust faith that Hashem is here, that everything is for a reason, that nothing's a coincidence, that He's ever present in our lives. And the Gura was talking with such faith, such complete emuna bitachon, speaking at such a lofty and high level that He raised the entire Chabura, the whole room. In other words, the Gura created a wave. And the whole Chabura was lifted by the wave. At that moment of the Bitachon and Amuna, Rav Chaim felt such trust and faith in Hashem. He said, I don't need to do a Shtadlus. This is so up to Hashem. I so accept Hashem. 
He took the scarf and the leeches off his neck because at that moment the bitachon was so overwhelming, so strong, so absolute that he didn't need to take any initiative which almost would be contradictory to it. The conversation changed back to the Gemara, back to whatever they were learning. When the conversation shifted back to whatever they were learning, he realized his bitachon dropped immediately. And because his bitachon dropped immediately, he felt the pain, he felt the infection, he felt the disease, he needed to go back to his ishtadlis. He needed to go back to it. So he says, from the story is exactly what we were saying, that sometimes we have such a swell of emunah bitachon. Sometimes we experience, come on and eat this chairs here. Sometimes we have such a, a, a groundswell of emunah bitachon. This wave comes. All of a sudden we're overcome with this wave. By the way, the wave can either crash on top of you and drown you, or you can lift yourself enough to catch the wave and ride it. There's, I once read a, a secular book about business and management, all about that in life. That it's all about the timing of the waves, anticipating the waves and positioning yourself. You could either crash by a wave and drown under a wave and be trapped by the wave, or you can time yourself to lift yourself right at the time when the wave is coming, and then the wave carries you. The wave, the wave, uh, you rise with the wave. So life brings all these waves. The same is true with Emunah Bitachon versus Ashtadlis. There are waves. By the way, when the wave passes, then you sink low again. Then there's an undercurrent that can pull you under. As a metaphor, you could take very far. But there are waves. So life is about timing ourselves to lift ourselves enough that the wave can carry us. So that's Rechaim Velazhner. He's with the Gra. There's this incredible um, revelation of Emunah Bitachon. And with this revelation of Emunah Bitachon, he doesn't feel a need for any Ashtadlis, for any initiative. He feels such faith and trust. He doesn't feel the illness or the need to take care of it. Again, this is a very high level. I'm not suggesting that we can do this. You know, when I go to the Amunah Bitachon class, I can take off the cast, or the bandage, or I don't have to take my pain medication that morning because the Amunah Bitachon class is so great. I'm not saying that we should set this expectation for ourselves. But what's the point of his story is how fleeting Amunah Bitachon are. The default is not I feel Hashem all the time unless I happen to be doing something that distracted me. The default is, I'm distracted from Hashem all the time, unless I happen to do something that makes me mindful of Hashem. That's just the reality. It's a tragic reality. It's the reality. So when we have that moment of feeling, I'm going to be talking to Hashem, we've got to grab onto it. We've got to capture it. We've got to capture it. We have to bottle it so that we can draw from it later. From Rabbeinu Yonah, we see that from Tfila itself, from prayer itself, a person shouldn't think that a Kaddish Baruch is going to answer them. The Revolba develops this idea. Many people have the misnomer. What is the Muna Bitachon? We've talked about this a couple of years ago. We've been doing this for a long time already. But a couple of years ago, we talked about when we learned the Chazanisha's Muna Bitachon. People mistakenly think Bitachon is what? I trust Hashem loves me so much, He'll make things work out the way I want. I trust and love Hashem so much. He'll make things happen the way I see them, the way I think they should happen. The Chazanish says, that's not trust in Hashem. In whom is that trust? Yourself. In yourself. You think you have all the answers. You think you have the vision for the world. You think you know what's right. And now you trust that Hashem will be your pawn. You trust that Hashem will be the one who you can manipulate to make things happen the way you want. That's not emunah bitachon. That's not emunah bitachon. 
That's what the Gemara says. There are three things that invoke Hashem's judgment. One is walking underneath a dilapidated wall. If you put yourself in a dangerous situation with such confidence that you're going to be okay, Hashem says, you walk under that wall that's about to collapse because you're so confident you deserve to survive, get me her file. Let, bring me his file. Let me see how worthy he is. And the second thing is, if you're Moser is Chavero, you turn someone into the authorities. You think you're so perfect. You're not, I'm not talking about an abuser or a dangerous person. Be very clear. Somebody who's dangerous, somebody who's damaging, someone who's abusive. We absolutely believe. Call 911. Turn them in. If you won't call me, I'll do it. Absolutely, you have to turn them in. We're talking about in antiquity, the notion of a Moser, the czar's uh, corrupt uh, soldier would come and you're turning him in because of a hatred for another Jew. So Hashem says, oh, you're in such a position to turn someone else in? Eh, bring me his file. Let me check him out. And the third thing the Gemara says is, you daven with such arrogance, such confidence, that you walk away from your daven and you say, I nailed it today. I was so much geula I said, you'd see us Mitzrayim right into Shemona Esrei. I had kavana. I, I, the whole drive home, I knew I was present. I knew where I was going when I got in the driveway. And I nailed it. Every bracha, I was present. Kavan, I dabbed everyone around me. Hashem will surely answer me. The Tehillim rally was so amazing. It was packed and there were tears and everyone was screaming. Hashem has to answer now. He'll surely answer now. Gemara says, Hashem says, oh, oh, really? I have to answer you. You think I'm a puppet and on your strings and you're controlling me? Bring me his file. Bring me your file. Iyun tefillah. Overconfidence, arrogance in tefillah. It's the antithesis, because tefillah at its core is humility. It's an exercise in humility. I'm unworthy, I'm incapable, I'm in charge of nothing. It's all up to Hashem. When you walk away, and you think, well, I'm really in charge. So all the things I have to do, I have to go to work, I have to do this, I have to do this, oh, and I have to dive into Hashem. That's on my checklist of things, but I'm the one who's really in charge. That's the antithesis of tefillah. Core, at its core, tefillah is an exercise in humility, in amuna, in humility, and feeling it's all up to and feeling it's all up to Hashem. So then why, why is it that we daven for people to get better and not daven for just the people around them to be able to be okay oh. with whatever Hashem is like? You know what I'm saying? Why is it that we're davening? Maybe it's not better for that person. Like maybe Hashem has right. thinks that they're not, they shouldn't live and it's better. They don't, we don't see the full picture. So why don't we change davening to be about... It's a great question. So that, that question is the core question of all tefillah, which is, let me put it a little bit differently, which is, this is the way the Al-Sheikh puts it, is why... If God is omnipotent and infinite and perfect and all-knowing, and I am pathetic and puny and finite and, and, and you know, ultimately um, dust, dust of the earth, so why would I want God to change His mind to follow my view? Shouldn't I change mine to accept His? So if He says that I should have no money, I have no money. If He says someone around me should be very sick, that's the best thing for them and for me. Why am I trying to change God's mind? Why would I ever want to change, change God's mind? I should change my mind to conform to God, not change God's mind to conform to me. That's no, your we're question. We're still putting on our shabbos. My question is: Should we change the davening to be about something that actually is not? That no, no, but, but why put in the shabbos? I think again, the bigger question is: If Hashem is determined, someone should be sick, and we believe that everything God does is for the best. Then God is determined that it's for the best for that person to be sick. So why am I trying to ruin that person's best? What's best for them is to be sick. Why? We don't understand how that's best. It doesn't make sense to us. It's painful to us. But if we believe in God, we believe that God is determined that's what's best for that person. Why would I want to change his mind? Instead, down for the people who are going to be 
broken over the loss. And, and, so know, maybe daven for something else, but why daven for that? Or maybe God wants them to be broken for the loss. Why should we daven for God to make them not broken for the loss? Why ever daven? What? Why daven? Why daven? First of all, we don't really know the outcome, that he is really meant to be sick forever. We don't really know, because we can't figure out God's right. plan. That's number one. And my second point would be, that it's not a relationship. If we're going to have a relationship with God, we have to tell him what we would like, whether he would like it or not. And he could say that the answer could be no or not now, or you're never really going to know the answer. Right. So, so exactly. But in other words, it's not a relationship. If we just say, well, whatever he wants. Correct. So then we're not really a relationship has give and take. Right. A relationship wants us to object and protest when right. we see an injustice. Yeah. And now we learn from last week's parasha, Avram and Stone. Yeah. It was a That's precedent right. for us <laughs> that God sometimes wants us. <laughs> I've, said, I've said countless times that okay, we take three steps forward at the beginning of Shemona Esrei because the word Vayigash was used three times. Vayigash Avram, Vayigash Yehuda, and Vayigash um, Eliyahu. Three times in, in Tanakh, great leaders, individuals stepped forward to confront a situation. So when we step forward for our Amidah, Vayigash, we're stepping forward to Hashem to protest, to object. Sometimes he's inviting, he wants that. But put more globally, so the, the famous answer that, that's given, and, and I find um, resonates with me, is the idea that um, sometimes Hashem does it because he wants our tefillah. And, and, and the consequence or the result of tefillah is that we are different at the end than we were at the beginning. Right? The word hitpalel, the word hitpalel, tadavin, is hitpalel, it's reflexive. Through the experience of davening, we're changed. So maybe that old version of me was deserving of that reality. But through tefillah, I've changed myself. And what I'm saying is, Hashem, the new version of me is deserving of a new reality. So you'll say, well, that works for our own issues and our own prayers. How does that work for a friend? How does that work for a friend? So I, I spoke about it a little bit. I didn't have time to get into it in depth in the women's class in Sifla's Torah. That's where that chasam sofer based on the maral comes in. If all of our friends' pain is our pain... And when I'm davening for my friend, I'm essentially davening for myself. Say, Hashem, that person is sick, or that person is suffering, and that person's going through that issue. It means I'm sick, or I'm suffering, or I'm going through that issue. And I've changed. I'm changed because of it. Bring us a new reality. The more people who daven means the more people who are expressing we collectively are in pain. Mm-hmm. Not that Chassam Sofer was based on a maral. Maral says that you're not allowed to daven if your tefillah is exclusively about someone else. Tefillah is not tefillah unless it includes a component of yourself. Mm-hmm. To which the Chassam Sofer and everyone says, wow, that sounds so selfish. I thought tefillah should be selfless. I think the highest davening is about somebody else. Isn't that the most noble davening to daven for someone else? What do you mean it's about me? And the Chassam Sofer explains that for tefillah to be tefillah, it's based on the Rambam, tefillah is about asking Hashem for something I'm not in control of, I'm lacking, I'm missing, a sense of inadequacy. I need you, Hashem. Right, the, the whole core of tefillah, the premise of tefillah, implicit within prayer is, I'm missing something, I need you. But it's I, it's the I-thou relationship, it's about me and you. So says the Sofer, what the Maral means is, not that you should never daven for friends, halavai, that should be the bulk of davening, to daven for friends, to be so caring and so sensitive and so selfless. But it means that, what is the most noble form of davening for a friend? Not davening for the friend, but when you say, that that friend's pain is so real to me, that it's my pain. The Ravaria Levin story. When Rav Meir Tursky brings us all down, he brings the Ravaria Levin story, who goes to the doctor and says, Doctor, my wife's foot is hurting us. Right? And famously, he takes his wife to the doctor and he says, My wife's foot is hurting us. 
right? And we all love to tell it's so, so cute, so loving, so romantic, so loving, so sweet. My wife's heard it's hurting us. So we say to Hashem, my friend's illness is hurting us. It's hurting us. And now when I've included myself as the subject of the tefillah, in other words, it's not that I'm the Baal Chesed. Hashem, I'm all good, I'm all perfect, I'm great, everything's wonderful. But there's Nebuch, you have a Nebuch over there that I'm davening. I'm doing Chesed for this Nebuch, so I'm davening for that Nebuch. Would you take care of that Nebuch? Hashem, I'm the Nebuch. I'm the Nebuch. If that person is not well, I'm the Nebuch. I'm in pain, I'm suffering. So Hashem, you have to heal them because it's me. It's me, that's the high, most authentic. It sounds selfish, not selfless, but it's the most authentic and genuine. Because we don't care about anyone as much as we care about ourselves. Self-preservation and our own. And that's, that's just the human psyche. And it's good. It's important. We care about other people, but we care about ourselves. So when I intertwine my life with the other person, and their pain is my pain, I'm dominating for myself. So the more people who say that that part, that's why, reboit fila, someone's going through something, and we say, everyone daven. And the more people who are davening means the more people who are saying that they're not going through it. So either if there are 10 people who care, there's 10 of us going through it, Hashem. There's 100 of us. There's 1,000 of us. Hashem, there's 100,000 of us going through this. You're really going to do this to 100,000 of us? You're not doing it to one. You're doing it to 100,000 of us. And through tefillah, 100,000 of us are different today than we were yesterday because of this. So we're due a different reality. The 100,000 of us who are in pain for that person who've davened so sincerely from the bottom of our hearts for that person, who've hit pa'el, hit pa'el, who've changed ourselves through tefillah, because of our pain, our pain, we're all deserving of a new judgment. Hashem sometimes says no. He said no to Avram with Sodom. He said no to Moshe when Moshe said, show me your face, and Moshe wanted to enter Israel. This week he said no to us, and he sometimes says no. He says no, and we don't understand why. But the mechanism through which the tefillah is working, to the way I understand it, is that's why this Chacham Sofer is so meaningful to me. It doesn't think less of us to say that we have to include ourselves in the tefillah. It's more, it's elevating. The more of us who are protesting and objecting and davening together, the more powerful a message it is. So what Revoba was saying here, we'll pick up with this next week, Amir Tzashem, is that davening is not just, okay, Hashem, here's my to-do list for you. I mean, it's exactly what Rabbi Grishauer said. We work for God, He doesn't work for us. Shimon Esri is not God. You know, there, there's some marriages where when one of the parties leaves to work, he hands the piece of paper, okay, here's, here's what I need you to do today. The dry cleaning and dinner and the kids' school and pay the bill and do the whatever. That, Shimon Esri is not our handing Hashem our petek and saying, okay, Hashem, here's your to-do list for today. Rafa'inu barachale, here's your to-do list for today. That's not what davening is. And davening is, Hashem, here are the things I'm grateful for or here are the things I'm protesting about. Here are the things I need. And if that conforms with what you think is best for me, please do it. If it doesn't conform with what you think is best for me, I defer to you. Don't do it. Don't do it. Right? Implicit within every tefillah is, if there's a conflict between my view and yours, let's go with you. But if the whole reason that you gave me this need is to waken me up to come to you, I'm here. I mean, there's a story of a chassid the Shereba who's chassid. I'll end with this. And I'll make a note, in fact, where we were up to. There's a chassid, a chassid who comes to say goodbye to his Rebbe. He's going on a long business trip. And the Rebbe says to him, where are you going? So he says, I'm going to this country and that country and the other country. So the Rebbe says, oh, you're going to Paris. In Paris, they have these incredible cigars. I love this brand of cigar, this wonderful cigar. Can you bring me back a uh, case of, uh, of those cigars? So the chassid says, absolutely, for sure. 
So he goes on a trip and he thinks it's kind of peculiar. The Rebbe cigars, that's what he wants. Okay, but uh, okay. He sets out, he's going to make it to that store. He goes on the trip and the trip is so time consuming and so distracting and he's so occupied and preoccupied. He makes it to country to country. He gets through Paris. He comes home, he didn't bring the cigars. He comes to the Rebbe and he's so upset. I'm so sorry, I forgot. And I can't believe in the Rebbe wanted the cigars so badly and I forgot the cigars. And the Rebbe looks at him and he says, Do you really think I want the cigars? I don't care about the cigars. My dear Chassid, while you're away on this business trip, I wanted you to remember me. I wanted you to be thinking about me. So if everywhere you went, you had to remember, oh yeah, when I go to Paris, I got to get those cigars, you'd be taking with me with you on that trip. I don't care about the cigars, but you forgot about me. So the Rebbe Shalom sometimes says, here's what I want you to get me, or here's a challenge, or here's a conflict. Why? I want you to remember me. I want you to remember me. If your child's credit card didn't need to be paid or there was no money left on the debit card, you'd never hear from them. So because the debit card runs out, and now all of a sudden they find themselves indigent and poor and I need money, and you get the phone call, Dad, Abba, please, could you put more money on the debit card, which is a loose translation of Baruch Aleinu. So you say, oh, I'm happy to put the money on your card, because now that you've reached out to me, we spoke and we caught up. But if I didn't uh, let the card dry out, run out, I'd never hear from you. Sometimes Hashem sends us stuff because He says, I'd never hear from you. I don't want the cigars. And I'm happy to put money on your card. But if you didn't run out of money, you'd nev- I'd never hear from you. Now that I heard from you and you're filling me in a little bit, absolutely, I put money, more money on your card. So it's, much, it's very complicated. We could talk about this all day long. But the bottom line is that Life is so much richer, and life is so much more meaningful, and life is so much better and easier, and life is so much less anxiety and worry and fear when one feels Hashem in our lives. And Amir Hashem, next week should be much, much, much better than this week. And Amir Hashem filled only with wonderful simple. Amen.